Welcome. Welcome to the February Citizens Climate Lobby call. My name is Mark Reynolds. I'm a member of the Citizens Climate Lobby board, and I'm co-hosting today's session with... Hi, I'm Ashley Hunt-Martirano, and I'm the marketing manager for Citizens Climate Lobby. Great. So happy to be co-hosting with my colleague and friend, Ashley. Uh, what's going to be happening today is in just a moment, she'll be introducing and interviewing our guest, who we're so excited to have here today. Uh, then we're going to go over what we're inviting you to do this month. We'll get an update from Citizens Climate Lobby International. And most importantly, this is the beginning of CCL conference season. So uh, you could actually go to our website today, click on um, take action, click on climate conferences. <clears throat> and here's the options you'd see. We're going to have our third ever conservative conference uh, in March. And if we're going to include more conservative voices in bipartisan legislation, it's really important that we get them visible and get them to the conference. So please invite everybody who's right of center to that as possible. We're gonna have six regional conferences. Some of those are gonna be live, some of those are gonna be virtual. I'll leave it to you whether virtual or live is better for you. And today you can register for the June conference. We'll be live in DC back at the Omni, our home away from home. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you a special feature that we're extra excited about, about the June conference. But today, actually at the end of the session, you could actually click on that if you're planning on joining us in June and register for that conference. So I'll be back in a little bit, but I'll be turning things back over to Ashley at this point. Great, thank you so much, Mark. I am excited to be here and to welcome Doria Brown to CCL's monthly meeting. And I'll introduce her and tell you more about her in just a moment. But first, I want to set the stage with why social media matters and why we're talking about it today uh, in our climate advocacy work. So often it can feel like a waste of time or a silly place to fight about culture wars or share pictures of your dinner or maybe your dogs if you're me. But here is a recent and incredible example of the power of social media. A longtime volunteer I'm going to refer to as Jay had been posting about his volunteer efforts with CCL for years. He posted about why he loved CCL and shared about his involvement and successes. And his friend, who I'll refer to as M, was named as the trustee of her friend's will, whose legacy plans included supporting a climate organization. M had long been following the social media posts of her friend Jay. So when she had to decide which climate nonprofit to support from this estate that she was managing, she reached out to Jay. His social media posts about our work inspired M to give a large gift from her friend's estate to Citizens Climate Education last month. And that's how CCE received $100,000 from social media. So there is power in social media. Now, of course, that's not going to happen every day, but social media can be a great tool for mobilizing people to take action. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And that is why we invited Doria Brown uh, to our call. She is a social media influencer known as the Earth Stewardess on TikTok and Instagram with a combined almost 100,000 followers across those platforms. She's an environmental scientist by training, and she's the youngest municipal energy manager in New Hampshire, working for the city of Nashua. Her social media posts focus on energy science, sustainability, and science communication. Doria, welcome. We're so excited that you're joining us today. 
I'm just so excited to be here. The Citizens Climate Lobby had a lot to do with what has inspired my work with working with the municipality and the carbon fee and dividend program was a big part of our Environment and Energy Committee a few years ago. So thank you for having oh, me here today. That's so great. Um, and our volunteers uh, are gonna love some of the videos you've created, I know. So can you tell us, how do you get started as a content creator on social media? So that is a, a question that I get a lot, but I think that the, the answer here has uh, a very, big similarity to a lot of people's stories in 2020, COVID. <laughs> um, COVID is how I got into social media. I found myself with a lot more free time, uh, not being able to go out and see friends and family. I was stuck in my house and uh, we had just purchased our home actually. So we were doing a lot of renovation projects. So I would be posting my renovation projects on Instagram and eventually morphed into making videos on TikTok. But then one day I saw this group of climate influencers create a virtual TikTok house. Now this is a page where multiple people post on the same page from different accounts. So it's a collaboration. And they had their first post ever, I think it was July 14th of 2020. And I saw this group of people of scientists, activists, students, and just genuinely amazing people posting on the same page. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can take my work that I do in real life to help the environment and make my community more sustainable and translate it onto my social media platform. So I emailed them. I think they had an email on their page that day that I saw their first post come up. And uh, I said, hey, this is my resume. I love creating on social media. I'd love to get started and make content with you all and also make it on my page. So a bunch of people took me under their wing, like uh, Abby Richards, who runs Tupology, uh, Sabrina Pear, who runs uh, my Sab Sabrina Sustainable Life, and uh, Isaiah Hernandez, who runs Queer Brown Vegan. And they um, talked to me and they helped me create really awesome content and become a, I think, a pretty good communicator online. Awesome. And of course, that collaborative account is referred to on TikTok as EcoTalk. EcoTalk, um, yes. Yes. And so they have great sustainability videos, um, informational and fun, educational, and um, sometimes, you know, entertaining and silly. Um, so what's your vision or goal for educating people on social media? So the vision that I really had when I started was getting people to realize that solutions are right there at home, but maybe not in the sense that they originally thought. It's not a metal straw, though a metal straw, straw is great. It's, it's not changing small things at home. It's showing up in your community because at the community level, there can be so many changes that you can see quickly and can impact your day every single day. For example, whether it's your police department getting the budget to switch to electric vehicles or your community investing in renewable energy so that everybody can drive down their electricity rates and have access to clean energy, regardless of the barriers to buying solar panels. There is just so much you can do on the local level to really turn everything around when it comes to the environmental issue that we're experiencing today. And a lot of people see it on a, I think a 
what is that 30,000 foot view where it's like, oh, it's on the federal level. Uh, nothing's going to change if uh, the federal uh, House of Representatives or the Senate aren't doing anything or if these large corporations aren't changing. But really, if we show up to our local meetings, we can get a lot done. So I try to, in my content, talk about that, talk about local solutions that I'm doing right now. And I also try to make people laugh <laughs> as well, because uh, this issue is, it's difficult. I mean, if we think about climate change every single day, uh, that can become very hard. So I try to make people laugh, make them entertain, and also realize that solutions are on a local level. That's great. I love um, that you brought up trying to make people laugh because this problem is so hard. And like you said, the doom and gloom can be just overwhelming. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, we're going to show folks uh, some short samples of what <laughs> they would see on your account. Um, and one of them's a little fun, lighthearted, and one of them is uh, more educational. So it's a good sampling. Uh, so Brett, you want to show some of these little samples? I'm going to turn off my camera for this because <laughs> I, I hate watching my videos. <laughs> for me, I really like corn. What do you like about corn? It's corn. This is my zombie apocalypse garden. Using hydroponics, I was able to successfully grow pepper plants. Here are some tasks that I do to take care of my garden. First, I collect rainwater outside since it's a zombie apocalypse. I add that water to the garden as needed. Now that my pepper plants are flowering, I have to pollinate them. Using a straw, I blow air on my flowers to mimic the pollination process. I'm starting to see my first peppers pop up. Like and comment to let me know what I should grow next. Awesome. Um, so for those of you not familiar with TikTok, the it's corn uh, was a trending sound over the summer that it went viral. We corn love kid. your, yeah, corn kid. He became famous. Yeah. Um, and we love your interpretation uh, with your earth costume. And um, for uh, folks that are interested in hearing Doria talk about carbon pricing, she has a video she shared on EcoTalk. Uh, last year that you can check out. We're going to put a link in the chat for that. So can you tell us, you talked about the zombie apocalypse garden. Why as a science communicator, are you talking about the zombie apocalypse in so many of your videos? <laughs> so on TikTok and Instagram, uh, that there's this thing called an algorithm and the algorithm likes things to be happy. It likes things to be positive. So sometimes when one says climate change a lot in their videos, it could be associated with something that's negative or maybe that people don't want to see. So I created this, I believe it's called a euphemism for climate change to be the zombie apocalypse to talk about my hydroponic gardening. So I have... Uh, this kind of mission to get people to do more gardening at home because when you bring food closer to home, you decrease the carbon footprint that food generates. So I really got into hydroponics uh, over the pandemic. And uh, I was like, you know what? This is my zombie apocalypse garden because a lot of stuff would be similar in the zombie apocalypse <laughs> than if we were dealing with a really big, just like impactful climate 
issue. We would kind of be stuck at home. We would have to grow our own food. We'd have to think about getting solar panels or some sort of energy generation at our homes. So I started saying, oh, it's the zombie apocalypse. Uh, check out my hydroponics garden. Guess what I'm going to do next? I'm going to get solar panels for my garden. And it entertained people. It made them laugh. And it also got them to think about what they could do at home to garden more and look into more energy generating solutions for their homes. I love that. And as um, a nonpartisan organization, we're always trying to figure out ways to communicate with people that might not be coming to this problem with the same background or values or um, perspective that we might have as environmentalists. So talking about climate change as a zombie apocalypse might be a way to get you know other folks uh, you know interested in this idea of climate change. Um, so that's maybe maybe that's another uh, tool in our toolkit we can uh, use as CCLers. So speaking of being nonpartisan, um, CCL is nonpartisan and we also are optimistic. So we believe in constructive conversations, having grace and humility, but it is really hard to do that on social media because it's a space that rewards people who are not that. So what tips can you share with us on keeping your content positive, even on a topic that's so doomed like climate change? And what tips do you have for those of us who want to have productive conversations in that space? So I would say that climate change does have a, a rep of being low doom and gloom. Uh, things are going to get worse. But I honestly have always looked at it like it's an opportunity from when I first learned about climate change and everything. And in high school, when I took AP environmental science, I, I saw this as an, an opportunity. Um, have you ever seen an artist, a music artist, remaster all of their songs and now suddenly you have a completely new love for their music? Now we have this opportunity to remaster all this amazing technology that we've created to get us places quicker, to get us all sorts of food, to really just make life a lot easier to be a human on this planet. We have the opportunity to remaster all that technology to be better for our planet. So I think that if you take that approach of presenting solutions as opportunities that are going to improve people's lives, that are going to make a healthier place for everybody to live and even transfer wealth to other people as we've put a lot of money into this technology to make life more convenient. As we do things to improve that technology and remaster it, wealth transfers to different individuals as well. So this is an opportunity for us to help the planet and taking that approach on social media really, I think, helps people engage with that type of content and get excited about it. Flannery, can you just tell us what's, uh, what questions are coming in from the group right now? And then I'm sure Ashley will find her way back. By the way, that's been amazing, Doria. I loved everything you said so far. Thank you. Okay. Thank yeah. you for just giving me this opportunity to talk to everybody. Yeah. All right. Hi, Doria. I'm going to um, read out a few questions that we've been getting from folks on the call. Um, so one question from Edward is wondering, how do you handle trolling or climate deniers or even climate slow walkers uh, as they interact with your content? So uh, there's a different answer for each one of those. So for trolls, 
I tend to ignore them unless I'm in a really spicy mood and maybe I might engage. But I do know that that will not improve my life in any way and it'll just make me very tired. Um, for climate deniers, I'm just excited that they're even there in the first place. My content reached them, which means that they've engaged with other types of content that brought me closer to them. So I consider that a win. You've got a climate denier in your comments. That means they're looking into doing more research and looking deeper. And then people who are slow walkers, again, that's still a win. Uh, they're engaging with the content. They're learning something new. And hopefully the video that I put out really got them to want to do more research and keep engaging with this content. I think that the way that you speak to people in comments really is how you show people what the environmental movement is all about. If you are mean or, or negative and you engage them in a way where you're putting them down, that tends to push them away. But if you ask them good questions and you, you listen and communicate, they might interact with your content again. So that's usually how I do it. Love that perspective. Um, okay, we have just a general question uh, from Margaret in California. Why use TikTok, maybe as opposed to some of the other platforms that uh, have, I guess, been around longer that people might be more familiar with? What do you uh, see as the advantage there? So I'm on TikTok and Instagram, and I also create on YouTube Shorts. I actually do a whole lot better on Instagram than I do on TikTok. So the reason I originally started using TikTok is because they had short form video content. When I started this, Instagram didn't have IG Reels or anything like that. So that's why um, TikTok provided me a medium where I could create really fun short videos and it made me a better creator and communicator. Awesome. Um, it looks like Ashley might have rejoined the call. Mark, I don't know, did we did Ashley have other questions? We yeah, yes, she did, but I do want to just catch one ones that I just saw, Doria, because it applies to me. <laughs> said, okay. One of the people just wrote, what do you do with those illiterate social media seniors <laughs> to try and <laughs> encourage us to be participate in it? How could we make things a little bit easier for ourselves? This has been one of Flannery's frustration points forever is my lack of tweeting. But uh, can you just say something about uh, people who didn't grow up in this medium? Ooh, so I, I don't think that everybody has to be in one place. Not everybody has to be on TikTok or Instagram. If your medium or comfort zone is on Facebook, that's okay. If it's in a newspaper, that's fine too. I, I think that there should be people reaching out on every platform to engage people about the climate crisis. Um, I'm here, I'm on TikTok and Instagram. Maybe you're really good at reaching people through a newspaper. Maybe you're amazing on Facebook. I think that if you have that skill, you should be talking about these solutions because that's how you engage everybody because not everybody is in the same place. Nice, thank you for that. Um, we have one from Terry wondering, uh, what type of content do you find gets the most engagement? Ooh, so this is a nuanced answer. So I create um, environmental content, but I also uh, go into the social justice side. I am a Black woman living in America. If I'm building a platform, I have to talk about it because if I don't, I 
I don't know if I could live with myself. So I do find that my social justice content really gets a lot more views. Um, I created a series that I've since retired back in 2020 called Hey White Allies, and it's really how I originally grew my following. It was a series about how we can engage with uh, white people to be allies and improve the environment and improve our country because honestly, we've got way more in common <laughs> than, than we don't. And uh, there's a lot of division there. So I created that series and I think it helped a lot of people. And I know that it helped me a lot to uh, just talk to, to different people and, and grow as a person. That's wonderful. Um, and are there any, do you notice any differences in terms of the like format of the content? Like do videos do well? Do photos do well? Like, is there, uh, cause I know our chapters and folks are always wondering what type of thing they should post uh, in addition to the, the content itself. I think it's just about what you're good at, really. So I I do a lot better with video content. I originally started posting uh, photos and infographics, and I have to admit I wasn't amazing at it. But give me a, an Earth costume, a camera, and something to joke about, and I'm gonna do a lot better that way. So I think you should pick what number one, you're comfortable doing. Not everybody's comfortable in front of a camera, but some people make amazing infographics that spur tons of conversations. Like uh, I have a, a friend, I think I mentioned her already, Abby Richards. She runs Tupology and she created a chart to show how conspiracy theories work. And that chart is an infographic and it has since been used by multiple groups. Like uh, I think... Uh, the Canadian version of the FBI has used it. Uh, she's done multiple talks on it. She's she's selling like shower curtains with this infographic on it and donating that money to great causes. Um, so I I think it's just about what you're good at and what you're comfortable with. Actually, everything worked fine while you were gone. Um, so you know everything went smooth. No worries. Um, so we do have time for uh, one more question for you with Doria, and then I think you were going to show people how to join our social media action team if they wanted to. Yeah, well, um, this happens with technology a lot, right, Doria? <laughs> Things oh, go yeah. wrong. I my Zoom the other day, and yet it still crashed and would not let me back on. Um, so do you have any other um, uh, suggestions or tips for folks that are wanting to get more involved with video content on how to be successful and make something engaging that the you know viewers on uh, Instagram or TikTok would be interested in watching? Yeah, so the, the first way is to start. Uh, you will not get better at creating video content if you don't just try. If you, I, I would hate it if you did this, but if you looked far back in my page, you will see a progress of much better content making from 2020 all the way now to 2023. I'm a lot more comfortable on camera. So if this is something that you really wanna do and you're excited about it and you're uncomfortable, the best way to get comfortable is to start. Um, my second piece of advice is I brought show and tell, but is to get some sort of a phone stand that's, this is really helpful for creating videos uh, on the go. Uh, this is a, a little bit more of a high-end one, but they've got some really inexpensive ones online, but something to hold your phone so that you can easily 
present well to the camera. And uh, my last piece of advice is lighting is everything. You could have something very simple and easy to talk about, but if you're in a dark room, the algorithm will not put you on the for you page or the explore page. So make sure your lighting is on point. Awesome. Those are great professionals and we, and we appreciate uh, that. Um, so I just want to um, let folks know if you are interested in learning more about the use of social media for your advocacy work with DCL, we have dozens of training sessions on community. And I'm sure Brett's going to link those in the chat. So you can click on those trainings and um, learn more about how to use social media. And we uh, also have a social media action team, which is a team of volunteers who want to increase their own social media skills and provide support for CCL's national efforts with strategic social media activities. So that can mean things like uh, me suggesting or other volunteers suggesting adding some positive comments on a tweet from maybe Senator Whitehouse or Senator Brian Schott, uh, if they are talking about climate or climate policy or carbon pricing. Uh, we also will say, hey, we have this post from CCL. Can you go and comment on it or like it and share it? So you can join on community in the groups section if you want to join the social media action team. And we also have a Facebook group that you can join if you're on Facebook at cclusa.org slash cclsocial. And then finally, I want to point you to a brand new page on our website called Spread the Word. So every Friday, I update that page with a strategic social media post that we want your help and boosting. So you can mark a reminder on your calendar to check that page every week to take action. And here's a little pro tip. You can watch TikTok videos, which helps CCL's account performance tremendously. Even if you don't have the TikTok app or an account, you just click the link from Spread the Word, and that'll help us with more watches. So thanks again, Doria, for joining us. And I um, am so excited to see more content you're going to create. Hope our volunteers will click your links uh, and follow you at the Earth Stewardess on Instagram and at Earth Stewardess on TikTok. So thank you so much for taking part of your Saturday to spend it with us. No problem, Ashley. And thank you for having me. I also want to give props where props are due. You're killing it on TikTok and Instagram. You're making some great content and you've got a, a great media person here. So I, I definitely think that that's so valuable to this organization. Great. Doria, that was like a huge breath of fresh air. Thank you so much. And I'm now challenged. I love my garden, but now I got to figure out how to make my garden funny like yours. That's going to be my, my big, big challenge this spring. I think you got it, Mark. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, one of the things I loved about last month's call is Madeline talked about the importance of action. Um, she talked about, you know, how small chapters, large chapters, people acting by themselves, how it all adds up and how important it is. And I, I loved that part of the call from last month. The one thing I want to add to that is people, um, because every single person here matters. And there's some that have mattered to me dramatically. You know, the early days of Citizens Climate Lobby were really hard. We, had, um, we thought we had a fantastic story to tell, but we didn't have anybody to tell it to. And we had two lists. 
One was from a power shift conference, which meant all those people were college students. <laughs> and the only way I knew to reach people at that point was to call them. So these poor 50 people got a call from me every month. <laughs> and I hadn't discovered the modern magic of texting yet. <laughs> and so <clears throat> they'd hear my voice and uh, they just didn't really respond uh, almost at all. The other list we had was a climate reality project list. And that was because Marshall Saunders, our founder, had been one of the first people to attend uh, Mr. Gore's training. Uh, and we got a little bit of responsiveness from that list, but there was one person who made all the difference for me. And that was, she's not one of the people who, uh, who attended the training, but Ashley Hunt Martirano was working for someone who did. And she was the one person who always returned my calls, always was positive, always was can do. And frankly, for as hard as those first couple of years for Ashley, you were one of those people that made it uh, so that I could get through it. And I just want to use the, our co-hosting to thank you so much for that. I've told you before, but that made a huge difference. And I just want to point to the importance of how important people are in addition to what we do. Okay, so what are we doing this month? <clears throat> first of all, there's great new tools uh, for gathering endorsements. It could both be for... Uh, carbon fee and dividend or carbon cash back, however you want to call that, but it could be electrification. There's just new, better tools to reach out and get grass tops endorsements. So that's, uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, the second action is a follow-up to um, last month, which is to finalize your plan for your in-district meeting. And these are really more, you know, meetings, spending time with them. One of my favorite meetings that I've heard about so far is they offered the congressional member of Congress either the opportunity to go on a hike, get a cup of coffee, or one of the members of the chapter had seen this member getting a glass of red wine uh, at a restaurant, so they offered that option also, and the member chose having a glass of red wine with the chapter, so I, I loved hearing about that. Uh, the third action is about um, helping people get to the June conference. Um, you know, uh, if you could check in with your chapter and um, uh, see who you, it's really important for you to go, sometimes it makes a big difference if the chapter can rally around and make it a little bit easier. It's, it's expensive to go to DC and uh, we wanna make sure that you have the people from your chapter you want. So maybe it makes sense for your chapter to uh, help um, get somebody there. And then there's a um, couple of bonus actions. One is we have like 45 films now you can use to screen. And those are great ways to get people together. It's a great way to do outreach. And so we invite you to look at hosting one. Uh, and then the social media bo bonus action just echoes what Ashley said, which is to uh, go ahead and share our posts. And Ashley, I know you don't believe I'm gonna do this, but I am gonna do that. <clears throat> In on, April 29th of 1962, President Kennedy was hosting a dinner at the White House with 161 Nobel Prize winners. And what he said is, I think this is the most extraordinary collection of talent, of human knowledge that has ever been gathered together at the White House with the possible exception when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. The reason I bring that out is that's the exact impression we had when we first met Joseph Robertson. Joseph came to the first conference in 2009. We um, just were astounded by his ability to be insightful, just not just about carbon pricing, but about uh, solutions to climate change. I personally was convinced he was an economist. It took me a long time to find out that yes, he did teach at university. He taught at Villanova, but what he actually taught was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Spanish. <laughs> but Joe Robertson now is the executive director for Citizens Climate International. 
uh, and I asked him to give us a little bit of an update of some of the things that are happening, including uh, some of the challenges that our volunteers face in other countries that we don't face here in the US. And first of all, Joe, I just want to congratulate you that last month, Citizens Climate International, CCI, uh, achieved its 501c3 status, that up until now, uh, Citizens Climate Education have been the financial sponsor. That's a huge, complicated process. So congratulations on that and welcome. Thank you, Mark, uh, for everything and, uh, and also for recognizing that milestone. Um, I just want to share with you all today, uh, you know, international negotiations are connecting to national and local climate policy in all kinds of new ways. Uh, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland last month, there was a lot of praise for the Inflation Reduction Act as a show of global climate leadership. While some US trading partners complain about domestically focused subsidies, the head of the World Trade Organization said they should negotiate with the US rather than file form formal grievances. The International Monetary Fund uh, managing director said that speed is the essential ingredient now. The point being that domestically focused subsidies can help make global trade climate smart. Republican governors went to Davos to pitch their states as investment opportunities due to IRA subsidies. So even when passage is not bipartisan, implementation can be. Investing in climate innovation can reinvigorate local economies of all kinds for people in every state. And this question of what is good for people in their local experience is increasingly important as climate change impacts get worse. In 2020, in the early days of the COVID pandemic, we heard from local group leaders in Africa that it was challenging to talk to their volunteers about climate advocacy because with everything shut down, so many were facing loss of income, hunger, and insecurity. Some of our friends in Africa were trying to grow food in home gardens or in community gardens, and criminal gangs were looting those gardens. Corrupt police were sometimes part of the problem, so there was no easy answer. We had a conversation about what could be done. We aren't a food aid organization and having money or extra food in that environment could be dangerous. We talked about what group leaders were trained to do, what our strengths as an organization are, organizing for better civics. Regular check-ins on how to address pandemic ripple effects started to focus on this. Could local chapters be a means for organizing to find community-based solutions to the home garden security problem? and other problems like that. The advice based on experience was, don't put yourself or anyone else in danger. Do talk to neighbors and community leaders, engage local officials and local media as a group, help to create a generalized nonviolent resistance to the looting, help public officials think about how to disincentivize the black market selling of stolen food. And we learned that doing something together during a crisis helps it boosts morale and can address unforeseen problems. This experience led to the insight that resilience is a baseline imperative. Everyone everywhere deserves to be safe from harm. In our United Nations policy work, we're now looking at how citizen engagement at the community level can be key for making sure that climate finance is available to vulnerable and frontline communities. Citizen stakeholders can report on progress, adding a critical layer of transparency and that the right to a clean, healthy environment, unanimously endorsed by the 196 nations of the UN climate change negotiations, makes conditions materially better in people's lives. Adding climate income or dividends would then have an even more empowering effect for mobilizing the new climate economy. And last year, 
we held a Talanoa dialogue with women climate leaders from, from our network around the world. Our Capital to Communities report highlighted the role of civics for climate mobilization and transparency. And in partnership with the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, we co-hosted a series of climate diplomacy workshops aimed at normalizing the multifaceted approach to international policy that takes into account life and well-being at the human scale. Those workshops are now being further developed into an Earth Diplomacy Leadership Initiative. So 2023 is shaping up to be an exciting year for CCI. Wow, amazing, Joe, congratulations. Um, so Joe, we're really excited about our lineup of speakers for the June conference. We have uh, someone coming from dream.org, dream which is Dan Jones's organization. But we also have Rachel Kite, who you're very familiar with. Uh, Rachel runs the Fletcher, Fletcher School of Demo Diplomacy at Tufts. Um, they are your partner in training countries around the world who aren't able to attend and actually be prepared to, to be effective at the COP conferences. Uh, but what else should we know about Rachel as someone that we'll be able to hear from this June? Sure, thanks, Mark. So, you know, Rachel Kite is Dean of the Fletcher School at Tufts University, which is one of the world's foremost centers of learning for diplomats. She's the first woman to hold that prestigious position, and she's a great friend and ally of ours, as Mark <laughs> said. In the years before the Paris Agreement, when she was World Bank Vice President and Special Envoy for Climate, she and her team drove the creation of the Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition, which we are part of. It's an alliance of governments, NGOs, multilateral institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, as well as businesses, including major oil companies. It's the leading multi-stakeholder space for advancing carbon pricing policy internationally. In that role and in her energetic high-level climate diplomacy, she was instrumental in making the Paris Agreement a reality. She then served as Special Representative of the United Nations Secretary General and CEO of Sustainable Energy for All. That's the United Nations effort to achieve sustainable goal, a sustainable development goal number seven, sustainable energy for all people everywhere. In 2022, after Russia's invasion of Ukraine disrupted global food supplies and pushed up fuel prices and with COVID effects still disrupting supply chains, she served on the Secretary General's Global Crisis Response Group on Food, Energy and Finance, advising world governments on how to respond to this polycrisis. She also leads the Voluntary Carbon Markets Integrity Initiative, serves on the Food System Economics Commission, and contributed to the Songway Stern Report of the Independent High-Level Expert Group on Climate Finance. And as Mark said, she is our partner in the Earth Diplomacy Leadership Initiative. Fantastic, Joe. Thank you so much for all of that. Uh, I said at the beginning of the call, I'd tell you one little tidbit that I'm extra excited about the June conference, and that is since for the first time since 2019, we will be back on the Hill. So we will be doing live lobbying. I cannot wait to be walking up and down the marble halls of Congress, seeing CCLers come in and out of uh, offices. I can't wait to get back to the Rayburn cafeteria uh, in between meetings where at almost every single table you'll see CCLers. And then for those of you who come to the conference, you know, at the end of the lobby day on Tuesday, we have a reception and we have people share mostly, it's just people who this is their first time ever coming to the conference, first time lobbying. There was a gentleman who was doing a Google search about climate change. He saw that the conference was happening. He hopped on the Metro, made it to the, to the hotel within a half hour, registered for the conference and said, so I just did something I had no idea I could do. I'd lobbied my member of Congress. I had a gentleman come up to me on Tuesday night and say, my member of Congress wants to sponsor the bill. <laughs> I, I said, great to him. <laughs> what I said to myself is, 
okay, you're 80 year old white Democrat from San Francisco who's an avowed atheist <laughs> would be the perfect co-sponsor to get a, a lot of uh, co-sponsors on the bill. He didn't inter end up introducing that time, but was a great champion for, for climate change. And then a lot of the wowed when young people, 12-year-old uh, kids come up on the stage and share um, what, it's, what the experience is like for them of feeling like their citizenship really evolving. So I'm looking forward to all that, excited to be on the Hill. And obviously everybody needs to make a choice about what they believe is right and safe for them. Again, you can go right to the um, website, uh, click take action, click climate change conferences and register today, today if you want. Uh, our speaker next month is Michelle Hexcox from the environmental, um, the Evangelical Environmental Network. So we are excited about that. And I'll leave you with what Jen Tyler said at our December conference. She was talking about working with a split Congress. She said with the Republicans in charge of the House and the Democrats in charge of the Senate, her response to that was, we were made for this. And I think she's right on. Uh, we were, as an organization, we've de designed, we've been built to deal with this exact moment. So we'll see you next month, March. See a bunch of you in June. Thank you so much. Doria, thank you for such a fantastic presentation. What is the Carbon Fee and Dividend Program? Well, one thing that it is, is a potential solution to the climate crisis. A carbon fee is an extra cost placed on fossil fuels that create carbon emissions. These fees, if used properly, would level the playing field between renewables and fossil fuels by reflecting the cost of burning them. So. Where would these fees go? Back to you, in the form of a dividend payment to each household in equal shares. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.